from Variety, celebrating more than 115 years covering the business of entertainment. This is the Award Circuit Podcast. Filmmaker Jordan Peele remembers watching Edward Scissorhands back in the day and being inspired by the audacity of that movie's unique storytelling. That was pretty transformative for me for film, just realizing you could sort of take that amount of whimsy and style and, and, and bring out heart in the audience. Now, of course, Peel is inspiring a new generation of fans with his own tales that make you laugh, make you think, and most importantly, make you jump out of your seat. I'm Clayton Davis. On this episode of the Variety Award Circuit Podcast, we talk to Jordan Peel about his two feature film projects in the awards conversation, the sci-fi horror film Nope, which he wrote and directed, and the animated feature Wendell and Wild that he voiced, co-wrote, and produced. Later, we chat with Filipina actor Dolly De Leon about her breakout role in the award-winning film Triangle of Sadness. It's all next on this edition of the Variety Award Circuit Podcast. Stay close. Jordan Peele has already landed in the history books of cinema and also the Academy Awards. He became the first black person ever nominated for Best Picture, Director, and Original Screenplay in the same year with his horror film debut, Get Out. He later won the screenplay prize, becoming the first African-American ever to win that category. The very next year, he garnered another Oscar nom for Spike Lee's 2018 film, Black Klansman, becoming the first black producer to be nominated twice. Lee went on to win his first Oscar statuette for adapted screenplay. This year, Peel walks into the award season with two very different projects. Over the summer, he reunited with his Get Out star Daniel Kaluuya on the sci-fi horror flick Nope from Universal Pictures, which grossed over $170 million worldwide. You set it up, least the right way, maybe I'm talking rich and famous for life. How you doing? You look pretty. It's like she got a big house. How? How, how we put it out? Mm. Well, that's what I'm saying. We don't just go for the quick cash in, okay? We, we go to the most credible platform to do the story. What's that, like Oprah? Yeah. Like Oprah, for example. After that, everybody won't end. Well, I'm saying there's plenty of videos of flying online. I saw one the other day that wasn't on Oprah. I didn't say Oprah. You said Oprah. You love Oprah. Like, all I'm saying is all that online is fake, low quality. Ain't nobody gonna get what we gonna get. What we gonna get? The shot. What shot? The shot. The money shot. Undeniable, singular, the, the Oprah shot. The Oprah shot? The other is as a voice actor, co-writer, and producer on the animated feature Wendell and Wild from legendary Oscar-nominated Coraline director Henry Selick, who pitched the project seven years ago. Peel has committed himself to tell original stories with each of his outings as a writer, director, and producer. The Award Circuit podcast recently caught up with Peel to talk about Nope and Wendell and Wild, as well as his long friendship and collaboration with Keegan-Michael Key, and if we might ever see the comedy duo reboot their beloved Comedy Central and Emmy-winning sketch series, Key and Peel. We began by talking about what interested him in doing these two projects back-to-back. These are projects that you know I've been working, you know, Wendell and Wilde, for example, it's a project that um, the, the spark for it came uh, seven years ago with Henry and his pitch. And... Uh, it, it's been, you know, watching him and this team of animators uh, meticulously craft this, you know, this this modern fable has been truly inspiring. I've always been a fan of his work ever since Nightmare Before Christmas and and uh, and Coraline. So I, I think that collaboration in this film really very much represents um, this idea of getting to a point where you get to work with an idol. You know, and an icon, and a, and 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 uh, a creative mentor, sort of just by existing in a lot of ways. I've made three films in the the time since I've met him. Two of them have been since uh, Wendell and Wild has started as well. And so, in both of th- those films as well, I've taken inspiration in his ability to be meticulous and yet embrace the magic of spontaneity. Yeah, awesome. Um- Getting your start with uh, Get Out, which obviously made a lot of money. You won an Academy Award for it, um, making history, by the way, as you know, the first uh, 
black filmmaker to be nominated for writing, directing, and producing in the same year. Uh, then you moved on to Us, which, hot take, I loved more than Get Out. Um, I, I, I think it's Lupita is just treasuring that movie, and I love the movie so much. And now we're uh, with Nope reuniting with Daniel Kaluuya. What has your film trajectory, what has it been? What are you really interested in making? Uh, is this the kind of films that we're going to keep seeing from you, or are you looking to expand that uh, as a director? Part of the fascinating project of this, of the directing and the fortunate um, position I'm in to know that I, I'll get to make another film, which I didn't always feel. You know, I, um, in fact, for many years I felt I'll never get to direct a film. So uh, part of part of making a film is, a, is 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 making a film, and another part of it is making another chapter. And you know, just coming from performing and coming from a comedy background and live performance, uh, there really is, you really get a, an understanding of uh, how the moments before a show are just as important as the show itself. And so, you know, I always put a lot of attention as to, uh, into what my audience is expecting from me going in and um, how can I subvert that? How can I leverage that? And how can I leave them in a position where they're ready to go on another adventure with me next time? Oh, that's awesome. And as someone who works at Variety, and I, you know, I was born in the Bronx. I didn't come from a huge film background. And I know the ability for access to film in underserved communities, also under, uh, underrepresented voices, uh, becomes very important that next generation, what are they going to be able to look up to? Um, can you speak about what was it that got you into this biz? Like, do you remember the movie that did it for you when you were a kid? And I just say that with your mom in the room too, because I want to know, like, you know, what was that playing in the background uh, in the Peel House? Well, there's so many ways I could go about answering this. We have, you know, this, and, and there are many of these experiences are movies I saw with my mom. Um, we, there, there's a, a, one way to look at this question is this, the theater, the Ziegfeld theater, which has, uh, it, it doesn't exist anymore. It's in Midtown and it had a kind of magic, an ornamentation about it that felt classic. It was huge and it was where all the really big movies played. And so there was an experience of, of, uh, seeing Edward Scissorhands there, um, that was pretty transformative for me for film, just realizing you could sort of take that amount of whimsy and style and, 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 and bring out heart in the audience. Um, so that's one. Uh, do you remember TV? Like uh, oh, what were some of the TV shows you, you were watching? Uh, the TV. So I was probably um, more obsessed with trash television um, than actual the the good stuff that I can remember. I mean, I just, I logged so many hours of um, much to my mom's uh, chagrin of like, you know, three's company and perfect strangers. And anyway, but there was a, uh, you know what? We, we had a, there's a love of comedy always, always a love of sketch comedy, Saturday night live in living color in twilight zone. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. But I was, I was, you know, I was a, a, a latchkey kid. <laughs> and so I did have like a very, um, I had a real television um, regimen yeah. after school. It's awesome. Uh, you know, you're, you're a dad now, uh, as, as am I. And one of the, I think one of the biggest pressures is what movies do we show our kids like first and the, what age have you thought about those things that you want to show your children to get them like in or, or just be like, you know, inspire them or just even show what interested you. Have you had that conversation with yourself? I, you know, I have, and I've always, I've always felt a bit like, you know, when I was growing up, movies took kids a, a little bit more seriously in some ways than they get treated now. And that to mean that, you know, there was always a scene in a movie that had a certain, gut punch or darkness to it, be it, you know, um, be it Bambi's mom, be it Artak in the, in the swamp of sadness 
or E.T. by the riverbed. There was this certain um, leverage of these traumatizing moments that I kind of, I honestly felt like in the late 90s, you know, there was, there developed this feeling like content would invade kids' minds and, and stuff like that. I'm someone that believes that you know, the right film can be scary and traumatizing. It can be good. Um, my kid's five. He loves uh, the Gene Wilder, uh, Willy Wonka. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, that's, that's kind of... At my, least he chose correctly. That's where I'm at. <laughs> that's good. Um, going back to uh, Nope for a moment, the biggest movie scale-wise that you that you that you've done yet and uh did it during a global pandemic so where uh what were the huge difficulties that maybe we don't see on screen that we know are definitely there aside from masks and quarantining i mean every uh you know you can't i I can't even uh tell you how sort of tricky scary um it is to make a film in a in peak pandemic. Um, but in many ways it can be helpful. I mean, you know, with something like what a film, like what I was doing, um, safety is very important. And so a sense of order, a sense of organization, it's actually a good thing, but there is a feeling, there's a meta aspect of, of, putting yourself uh, in the craziest situation to try and get that impossible shot, to try and get something special. And, you know, a big part of it was sort of making sure and understanding and and uh, knowing that everyone is there for the right reason to figure out this thing that's hopefully going to be, you know, great for what, what we love, which is movies. I promised myself I would ask you, about someone that you work with a lot who has been the through line and I feel like the underserved hero of a lot of your films and that's composer Michael Abels. Mm. I think he's the, one of the most talented people in the game yeah. and I'm waiting for his flowers to come through soon. Can you talk about working with him and that that sense of tension and, and, and gravitas and it's all those different emotions that we feel in your movies that he's responsible for. Can you talk about working with them? Michael has a, a certain freedom of instrument of his composership, whatever that, that um, is of particular interest to me. And it has been since the beginning because I'm always trying to make a film that is the, the first of its kind in the way. You know, or, uh, you know, I you wanted something that feels different. I feel like, you know, movies that sort of sink into predictable score um, or, or uh, too, too recognizable score, it just kind of fades away. Michael is somebody I can pitch a new type of music. I can pitch him a new sound that, you know, hasn't been put together uh, yet. And he'll... And he can give me something that sounds like that. So anyway, yeah, he's part of the the sort of secret sauce to how I think why my films feel a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah. I I think I agree with you there. Looking at uh, the two movies uh, you made, you know, no big theatrical release. Wendell and Wilde is getting a a one-week theatrical uh, window, and then a lot of people will discover it on a streaming service. How do you view the industry right now at this moment when it comes to film, creating films and where we're going uh, in this space? Because some are worried, some are hopeful, some always feel cinema is going to be here. It just evolves. Mm. Well, you know, I can tell you where I'm going, which which is, you know, I'm, I'm going to be trying to come up with original stories to, you know, meet the expectation that the audience has for me. I've got a lot in the works and I think deciding when and where and how and what is a big piece of that. You know, I hope to continue to lift um, original uh, filmmakers up and and this kind of thing. Um, But, you know, more importantly, I feel like if I can pull off what I'm uh, uh, trying to do with, with any single film, uh, it will, it would hopefully promote this idea and, and help other projects in, that I would be into get uh, in the world get made somewhere at least. Yeah, so, uh, talking about the animation medium, I spoke about this a lot last year with uh, Lord and Miller. Uh, animation is criminally 
undervalued and like just passed over as as filmmaking you know it it does things you can do things with it that you can't do in other spaces when the wild achieves that and even makes a breakout star at a lyric ross even though we don't see her but we hear that voice on screen what is animation uh meant to you uh in your life and as a filmmaker it's in many ways the end all be all <laughs> i've been you know i've uh I've been a puppeteer. I've been a performer. Uh, I, I plan a movie. Animation takes a different type of um, meticulousness and and energy and attention to the craft than even I'm sort of I've been capable of. And so I'm in awe of it. I'm in awe of you know what Henry and his team have done and the way that they've kind of continued to be spontaneous with it, but. You know, animation is, it's magic. It's kind of like puppetry taken to the most extreme <laughs> level. You know that uh, Henry's film, Nightmare Before Christmas, first uh, animated film ever nominated for visual effects. Is that right? Yeah, tw- 20, almost, almost 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, something Wendell Wilde could, you know, maybe follow in because there are some breathtaking effects uh, in that film. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Um I always think it's important, especially as uh, a filmmaker and again, not being afraid to show your emotion. Um, talk about your, your friendship, your, the love between you and Keegan Michael Key. Like that is something that's deep that like, you know, there's a brotherhood that in our culture, a lot of people are afraid to, to speak about things just like, you know, like the yin to my yang and you guys really do work well together, but you guys can also work independently, which, which is, which proves both your talents. Can you just talk about how, how that's worked for, for you? Yeah, it's, um, we have so much in common. We, we, our stories are so intertwined that in many ways it feels like a brotherhood. Um, but you know, the, the best I can put it is in the end of the day, no one makes each other laugh harder than he and I. So, you know, if we, you know, I think when people, people send a Key and Peel sketch to someone they uh, love or someone they know, it's because at the heart of Key and Peel, it's just two guys really trying to crack each other up. And um, that's it. He's the funniest guy I know, you know. After the Wendell Model premiered, there was a, uh, a conversation on on Twitter, which is always the best place to have conversations in case you want to try to have a real light conversation there. But they were like, all right, we're ready for our Key and Peel reboot now. Is it is that ever in your view of a future that that would happen again? That you guys would do a sketch show again? Sure. You know, I don't I don't uh, I don't know what it would be, but I do have uh, a ton of confidence that we will do something. I would really like that. Awesome. Um, I have some fun, fun questions now because okay. I always love the fun questions. Scariest movie Jordan Peele has ever seen? Scariest? Yeah. Mm. I'm going to say Jacob's Ladder. Ooh, nice. And um, I swear to God, this question isn't here because your mom's here. I already had it already. Uh, the favorite meal that your mom cooked for you growing up? Her chili. Her chili. It's good. Mom's favorite chili. Famous chili. <laughs> she went, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> I'm really good at chili. Um, the movie that makes you laugh until you cry. She she knows I'm going to say Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Um, the movie that makes you cry every time you see it. The movie that makes me cry every time I see it. You know, I don't know that I've gone to see it. I've gone back for the same cry mm-hmm. much. I remember uh, Dancer in the Dark was uh, Bjork. That was a ugly ass cry. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good one. Um, the actor you would love to direct, but is no longer with us. So someone that's deceased from back in the day that you would love to have on your set now. Great question. Um, I mean, I think it would be cool to uh, direct uh, Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> I'll take it in a in a Jordan Peele movie huh? as like you know subvert the the good guy quality. Jimmy Stewart like Rear Window Jimmy or like or like well, he would be Story a Jimmy. Yeah, I would be all right. I like it. Um, the director that you would want to direct you in a movie, but is no longer with us. 
I mean, I would love to be the star of a Kurosawa movie. Mm. Can I do that? Am I allowed to do yeah, that? Yeah, why not? Why not? That sounds it's fun. Really you can make whatever movie you want. So you, you can be in that. What are you working on next? I see what you did there. Yeah. Very good. You you, you, uh, um, I'm entering a, a state of listening. I'm going to listen to everything. I've got some fables and I've got some, a cauldron of some crazy things. And part of the process is uh, figuring out what wants to come out here. So it's one of my favorite parts of the process, honestly, because so much of it is creating and creating, creating. There's something very special when you don't know exactly what it is, but the possibilities are endless. My last question for you, what is the movie that means the most to you? We are are curating uh, a top 100 best films of all time and really reinventing what that actually means to be the best movie. So like as much as we love Vertigo's and Citizen Kane's, it's not all about Vertigo's and Citizen Kane's or modern masterpieces. Is there a movie that really, that means a lot to Jordan Peele? Um, I'm going to say Thelma and Louise, which is another one. I, I just remember seeing in the theater and being a kind of enveloping experience. I've gone back to it many times. Uh, I believe it is a perfect film. That's Jordan Peele, who wrote and directed the sci-fi horror film Nope, now available for purchase on demand. He also co-wrote, produced, and voiced the animated feature Wendell and Wild, which starts streaming October 21st on Netflix. After the break, Triangle of Sadness star Dolly De Leon from Los Angeles, This is the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast. And we're back. It's the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast, and I'm Clayton Davis. Scene-stealing Filipina actor Dolly De Leon stars in Ruben Oshlin's Triangle of Sadness, a sensation at the Cannes Film Festival where it won the Palme d'Or where her every line has so far prompted cheers in the press and public screenings alike. De Leon plays Abigail, a toilet manager on a chaotic cruise ship who gets back at her bosses and guests when, well, shit hits the fan. Her story is just one part of Ashlyn's searing commentary on privilege, greed, and power. But Abigail's power play exquisitely brought to life by Delion's deadpan delivery is what audiences will most remember. This is really bad. This is really, really bad. Variety Senior Artisans editor Jazz Tanke recently spoke with Delion about the film, the overwhelming reaction she received at the Cannes Film Festival, and so much more. They began by recounting her journey to becoming an actor. It really all started when I was uh, on the fourth, I was in fourth grade. And our teacher made us do a little skit in, in the classroom. And the skit was supposedly our mother dies. So I was one of, I played one of the children. And when we were doing the scene, I started, you know, um, crying really I was so affected by it so much and I was really crying real tears were coming out of my eyes and it felt so good it felt so liberating because I grew up in a household where my mom didn't like it when we cried she'd always say stop crying stop crying so I felt I felt free and after that I it was like a you know like it felt like a drug you know as a kid it was so magical to me that you can do that pretend well as a kid you know you pretend and to another on another level. So after that, I joined the drama club, the glee club, the dance club, all the art clubs in school. And then when I was in high school, um, I, I I wasn't able to to join the drama club because I got kicked out of my <laughs> of my other high school. So I was kind of shy and I was trying to you know to be a good girl. So I just joined the dance club. But in college, I decided to get into theater to really take it seriously and and take it as a course so that's that's I graduated uh, theater arts BA 
Bachelor of Art in Theater Arts in UP Diliman. So, oh my gosh, I love that, and <laughs> I can talk from experience. But like, you know, if you're not doing, if you're not a lawyer or a doctor or a nurse, everything, every other career is not considered a career. There's always like. There's still time for you to become a doctor or like, why don't you study law? Exactly. Did you face that? Yeah. Oh my, I still face that today. I mean, you know, it's, especially when you're filling out forms online, for example, uh, let's just say the visa application. Yeah. Okay. When you're filling it up, it, it, it'll ask you, what's your profession? And it will ask you, do you have your own business? And then all the choices, pharmaceutical, um, the telecommunication, everything, but there's nothing, there's no acting, there's no performing arts, nothing. So it's like, why aren't they doing anything about this? So, well, yeah, it, it does feel that way. And it's really, when I meet people for the first time, especially before, and they ask me, so what do you do? And I say, I'm an actor. Huh? You're an actor? And it's like, you know, it's, it's so, the pressure is so heavy on you because you have to explain where you came out because, you know, they've never seen my face before. And I'm telling them and I'm, a, I'm an actor and they're like, where did you come out? And it, it's so hard to answer. Yeah. So the film screened this summer um, at the film festivals and, it, you know, it's, uh, it's making the circuit. Are you starting to get more recognition now? Yes, actually, yes, I am. Uh, and it really feels strange because it's very new to me. Even in back home in Manila, yeah, it's also it's really weird. <laughs> it's weird how people have changed, you know, how they talk to me and how they how they treat me on set. It's very different compared to before. So, and I'm I'm really I'm right now I'm getting better roles, better offers, you know, things like that. So it's really a good thing. It, it this film really changed my life. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that, like how it came your way. I auditioned for the part of Abigail. They flew in their, their casting director to Manila and they held auditions for a few days. And I went there without any hopes of getting the part because I really am. I'm not, I don't do very well at auditions. So I just went there and just had fun with it. And my friend told me, you have to go. It's a Ruben Oslin film. You have to be there. Come on, you just, just try. Okay, fine, I'll go. But not really. I had no idea that I would be chosen because I, <laughs> I really do poorly in auditions. So, but by the time I got, you know, into the, the short list, because he made the short list, that's when I really said, I really want this and I really prayed so hard and to get it. Yeah. How did you find out that you got the part? It's weird because Ruben arranged uh, a Skype meeting with all the actresses who were, you know, uh, he was thinking of and we had the one-on-one -on -one meeting and, you know, he's Swedish, right? He speaks very good English, but sometimes I get a little lost with, with how he speaks and we were talking and he was saying something like, Oh, uh, yeah, you know, uh, one of the producers, you know, they they don't like you, but I, I, wanna, I really want to cast you, you know. So I was like, what do I have to do for your producer to like me, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then I didn't know it, but when we were talking, I already got the part because when I got the email, it was more of a follow-up already. So that's how I got it. It was kind of anticlimactic. <laughs> <laughs> were you familiar with, with his films before that, like... Yes, I was. Uh, first, I first watched The Square. That was the first one I watched. And then because, you know, his his take on, you know, how the societal hierarchies is so interesting. I watched Force Majeure, which I loved so much. So, yeah, I knew about him. And, you know, his name is very, it's, it's very important for cinephiles. So you get this part. Abigail is such a brilliant character. Um, and just, fo you know, following her journey. How did you, you know, she plays an overseas Filipino worker, um, which is, as we were talking about earlier, such a big part of, like, the Filipino immigrant story. Like, how did you, you know, shape her, and how much was the script versus how much was what you brought to it and discussions that you had with Ruben about her backstory? Well, I started by writing a journal, uh, uh, from a first-person perspective, writing as Abigail, because I had to understand why 
why she knows how to fish, why she knows how to make a fire. Because, you know, not all Filipinos can catch fish and (laughs) make a fire. So I had to look for a reason why she has those skills. And then I also had to have a reason for her to to have that dilemma towards the end of the film about a, a big decision that she had to make. And I had to, you know, justify if she had a family, if she was married, does she have children? Is she just a, a person who's living alone in the world? So I had to plot all of that out. I had to really make it very clear to myself that this is, you know, her story, her childhood story up to adulthood. And I consulted with Ruben about it, and he was okay with everything, with especially with the, with the choice of her being a single woman, you know. And he was okay with it, and we did workshops together, and we did one workshop together one whole afternoon, and he was able to uh, more or less give me an idea of how he really wanted me to play her. But he gave me actually full reign on how I was going to character on building her character but it was really more of how to approach each scene but as far as um, her her accent her how she walks how she talks her stature and her her main characterization that was really all me wow. and Ruben is notorious for you know when you're shooting doing like up to 100 takes with some of his um, you know his scenes talk about working with him what that was like Oh, boy. Uh, I had heard about that already. So I was forewarned about it. But by the time I got to Sweden, when, when on my very, very first day, I don't know why, but it just slipped my mind that he he likes doing a lot of takes. So on my first day, he would tell me, okay, action, and then I would do it and then cut. He'd adjust it a little bit, and then I'd follow his instructions and do it again. Okay, action, cut, adjust again. By the fifth take, I thought I had gotten it already, but he still kept making me do it over and over again without any adjustments. So I was starting to feel like, why am I here? <laughs> why did did he make a mistake in choosing me? Maybe I shouldn't be here. I'm so incompetent. Why can't I act? I was starting to question myself. And then I realized, you know, talking to Harris and Shelby that, yeah, he does a lot of takes, so... After the first day, I was fine. I was okay after that. My body got used to it. And I was able to go with his rhythm of working, even if there were a lot of takes. I was I was tired physically. It, it's very exhausting. But at least my my brain wasn't, you know, messing, messing me up. It, I, I was already getting used to it by the end. What was the first scene that you shot with him? The knocking on the door of the cabin of Yaya and, and Carl. Because Abigail wanted to clean the room, but they were sleeping. Yeah. yeah. And that's actually like, uh, um, uh, it's a foreshadowing of what's going to happen on the island when Yaya knocks on Abigail's boat. Ooh. Oh, there you mm-hmm. go. There you go. Oh, my gosh. Now I need to rewatch it. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. You go back and you look for the clues. Yeah. Um, I do love the scenes on the island, you know, when, you know, with the fire. And it's like... You know, she's like, that's why you shouldn't be so lazy and dependent on me. Like, she has a voice. I mean, talk about reading that in the script and and then, you know, being able to deliver those lines. Like, she's not, you know, door, you know, she's not like a doormat. No, not at all. She's she's such a badass. I think that that's one, that line is was something she's always wanted to tell them, even while she was working in the yacht. You know, she's been wanting to tell these people how lazy they are. And now finally she can do it and get away with it. So that I think that's very liberating for Abigail to to speak her mind and not care about the repercussions. Talk about the research that you did to, to get into that mindset. Because then the next scene is, you know, she's be, basically being told, like, you know, you're a toilet manager. And it's it's like, I personally have known people who have experienced that from you know, their employers. And it was like, it was so, it resonated so much, right? Um, which is why when she goes like, you shouldn't be lazy, also resonated because you've had, you know, I've heard stories of the kickbacks. Talk about like the research. That- you know what, Jazz? I didn't do any research because I am, I have access to people who have been working abroad. My mom is an OFW. She she moved to this here to the to Atlanta in 1989. I was in high school. 
No, I was in college. I was a first year college. Um, my ex-mother-in-law lives in Italy and all her siblings live there and I know all of them. I even visited them once. You know, they're, and they're a whole brood. There's seven brothers and sisters. I know a lot. So I've been exposed to to that life and those people for a long time, even prior to making the film. So it was really, that was the easiest part, yeah. I think, in, for, in preparation for playing Abigail. I love that. And then, you know, I mean, I guess it's... It's about people who misuse power, right? And we see we see that happening so much. Like, talk about reading that script. And again, you know, Abigail's such a badass. And like, what's going through your mind being like, this is who I'm going to play. I'm playing this woman who is observing all these people who are in that world. I kind of knew that it was going to change my life a little bit. You know, I I knew because it was very important. When they gave me the gist of it, I already knew it was a very important part because she really turns the tables, you know, and then reading it underscored that even more for me. But I won't lie. I I felt like I while I was reading it, I wanted more scenes. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, she needs more scenes. Why only, you know... This, you know, I, I didn't count how many scenes in total, but I, I felt that she needed more exposure. And, but it's justified why her exposure is very short, because that's really the truth of it, is when she's on the yacht, she's invisible. People treat her like she doesn't exist. They only talk to her when they need something. Or they probably don't even talk to her at all because she's the toilet manager, and when she's cleaning the toilet, no one's there. Yeah. So she's not in the service, if you know what I mean, service sector of, of the yacht. She's more of the cleaning part of the yacht. So she really has no interaction with them. And Ruben really wanted it that way, that Abigail would be invisible. I don't know if you remember that scene where we're cleaning the mess, right? Yes, From, yeah. Okay, and then one of the cleaning ladies puts on her she's got headphones, headphones yeah. and listens to music that was supposed to be me but Ruben decided he didn't want to focus too much on me so that on the island then it makes more sense how she is respected and is looked upon differently because she was never thought of before yeah you know what I mean yeah no I did notice the headphone see you know the the woman who had who put the headphones on it was yeah it kind of speaks volumes without without not, without nothing but I felt bad when he did that when he he did it on the spot okay so no uh, you you put that but in my head I was like no I want to do that come on that's a tight shot but yeah. it's justified makes more sense yeah no I absolutely I now I want more Abigail I did want more Abigail but like you said like the performance and what we have was perfect and it's one of the most talked about moments you know it's one of the most talked about performances in the film like how does that feel for you you know every time I hear things like that I always <laughs> it's so weird it's really strange because you know I just go to work you know I just go I, I you know I, I spend the day working I I act I, I love what I do and when I'm doing it I'm not really thinking I want to be praised I want people to to like me I want you know I, I'm not thinking of that what I'm thinking is I want to be as truthful and as loyal to the story of the character I'm portraying. That's it. Because to me, I am serving the character and I'm serving the film. So when people praise me, in my head, I'm thinking, I'm so glad they, they think I'm good. But to me, I'm really just doing my job. You know what I mean? Yeah. You have a scene with Harris. Like, I mean, talk about filming that, the, the sex scene. And like, why is sex a motivator for the character? For Abigail? Yeah. Well, she hasn't had sex in a long time. That's <laughs> <laughs> simple answer yeah, right there. Yeah, she hasn't had sex in a long time. Yeah. And she, she, she's not even in a relationship with any of the men in the yacht. Yeah. She, she's, not, she's not attracted to any of them. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, she, she also kind of abused her power, I think, on the island. Right? She used her power so that she can get free meat. As Carl's line said, you know, a yeah. fish peddler, right? Yeah. Yeah. What was it like working with Harris? Oh, it was a dream to work with him. He's a brilliant actor. He's very intuitive and very generous and 
he's also kind so it's easy to work with someone like that that's the perfect formula for a great scene partner he, it was great working with him he we we had you know we had a lot of time to talk about how we wanted to approach the scene and talked about you know which body parts can we touch or not touch uh, what can we do or not do so just so when we're in the scene we're not groping because it's not like it's the first time Carl and Abigail made love, right? They've yeah. probably been doing it a lot by that point. So, yeah, and and he's really in the scene. I, I, that's what I really like a lot about Harris. That's my favorite part about him, because he's really in the scene. When the director says action, he's there. I know because every time I change how I deliver a line or I do something, he rides with it. And most actors can't do that. Yeah. That's hard to do. One thing that's so great, you know, going back to the cleaning scene is like, you know, Ruben doesn't actually point out the nationality, right, of these group of workers. What was that? Did he have a conversation about that with you or was that just never in the script? It was really never in the script. And I don't think it really matters that it's mentioned, right? right? Yeah, because it could be any nationality. They could be uh, South American, you know, so... Yeah, but that that's a good question, Jazz. I never talked to him about that. I don't know why it's never mentioned. But I like to think that it's not really important because it would be over-explaining it if, if we're labeling them as Filipinos. Because, first of all, they're speaking the language. If people aren't familiar with our language, then they, they just have to do some research and find out what language you're speaking, you know? What was that like, seeing that? on, you know, in Cannes for the first time, hearing Tagalog, there's no subtitles. I think there's one bit that there is actually, sorry, there is actually a bit of, there's a subtitle scene. But like, I think it's your character that says, don't touch that. And it's not subtitled. But if you understand Tagalog, it's like, oh, she said that, but the subtitle is not there. You know, another friend pointed that out to me. And actually, she made quite a statement about it. And she said that it needs to be subtitled. But yeah, you're right. I think it's because I wasn't looking at the subtitles because I understand Filipino. Yeah. I missed it. I totally missed that. Yeah, but you're right. Maybe I should tell him to put subtitles there. Yeah, I don't I don't know why he didn't do that. I don't even know who translated all those lines. It's it's a fun moment though. Like your smile, I, well, I was smiling. I was like, "Oh, I love that she said that and I love that like it's not there, but if you it's kind of like a, a, an in joke, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, what was that like hearing Tagalog in this film? Wow, it was, it was, uh, I don't know, probably one of the best feelings I ever felt in this whole journey. It's, it's like watching our language on the big screen with on a Ruben Ostland film being watched by French viewers. You know, it's really wild, really, and it, it kind of felt like I was back in theater again, also because you know I haven't watched a film in the cinema in a long time in like two or three years so watching it for the first time that was my first ever film to watch since covid so yeah it was just magical let's talk about representation i mean as i said you know before like i feel like there's been an explosion of like filipino representation on screen um you know across the industry really like are you feeling the change? Are you feeling that there's we're starting to see more and more Filipinos on screen? Yes. And our stories are kind of being told? Right. I am. I am I'm seeing the change. And I think that the timing of this film is also perfect because it's riding along with that change. You know, my friends are telling me and some people are telling me that I'm opening the doors. The doors have been open. We just have to open it a little wider, you know. So, yeah, I, I'm really seeing that. But, you know, I met I met a Filipina uh, working actor here in L.A. yesterday. And uh, I chatted with her a little bit. I asked her, how's your life here in L.A.? And she said, it's really tough to find a job. And I asked why. And she said, because when they cast uh, Asians, they always cast Korean, Japanese, or Chinese, but never Southeast Asians. So it's like they make an assumption that Asians are only Chinese, Korean, and Japanese, but not the brown-skinned ones. So that's tough, you know. But but now I hope that because of this film and <clears throat> excuse me, many other films that are come about to come out and have come out, that it'll be easier for our Filipino actors to to you know share their talent with the world. 
I love that. And also, like, you know, there's such a rich history in the Philippines. There's so many stories that need to be told. Exactly. We have so many stories, especially stories about middle-aged Asians, you know? I mean, and it, it's not just the mothers. It's also the women who who decide not to have children, who decide to live life alone. It, so many, we have so many rich stories and they're funny too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they are they are very funny um and yeah i agree with that talk about like how this film has changed your life you mentioned that yeah um i get to choose the roles now i never i never chose any of the characters that i played in the past if i'm available on that date i i take it that's how I worked before. I take offers left and right. So if you look at my resume, I've done probably like over 30 soaps, you know, teleseries as we call them in the Philippines. I've done a lot of work because I'd never say no. But now I can choose and it feels so good because, you know, it's at some point, you kind of get tired of playing the same tropes all the time, the same types of people all the time. And even if I got used to it, you know, I, I, I it reached the point where I already, okay, I accepted it. Na, okay, ganito talaga, this is the way, wala na akong magagawa. Lagi na lang akong doktor, lagi na lang akong abogado, lagi na lang ako. Sige, fine, I'll just enjoy it, sige, go. But now that I can choose, you know people with names playing characters who really go through a journey, you know, who have an arc. That's so exciting to me. And and thanks to Ruben, really. I really owe it up. I really owe it all to him that this is happening. Yeah. Um, I love that. What would you like, like, what are you looking for in your roles now that you can, you know, the door is open and, you know. You're getting to choose. Ay, nako. Alam mo, Jazz, in the Philippines, I'm always playing these crying mummies. I'm always a crying mummy, you know? They make me, like, cry four or five times a day because I'm doing five sequences and I'm always crying. So I want to do comedy. I really want to do something like The Office, you know, where I'm a boss. And I'm, I think I'm smart, but I'm not. That's really what I want to do. Right there. You've put it out there, you know, manifest stuff. <laughs> that's what I'm believing now. It's like you've got to manifest things yeah. to happen. I love it. And I'm so here for you doing comedy. I think it'd be. Thank you. Gross. Oh, my yeah. God. Or someone like Olivia Coleman in Fleabag, you know, she, she yeah. plays a stepmom, you know. She's so, she's, it's a facade that she's nice and warm, but deep inside she's really, you know, the lines yeah. co- that come out of her mouth are the opposite of how she's portraying it. Yeah. That's what I want to do. There you go. Things we like put, that. We put it out there. So if you're listening, <laughs> if you're listening, um, talking about TV and movies, like what are you binging or do you not binge? I binge. I definitely binge right now because I'm so busy. I can't binge. So I just started Dahmer. But I only watched one episode and I'm dying to binge. But I can't. I don't have time. But yeah, because I love Evan Peters. Yeah. I adore him. So that's what I'm binging on. Yeah, but I, I, I binge a lot. Yeah. That's the way to go. You, you can't watch it in installments. No. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do to relax? Like, what's your... What do I do to relax? Yeah. Um, I used to play games. I used to play COD, uh, Call of Duty before, but I really don't have time anymore. So, you know what? I crochet. So from gaming to crochet? Yes. Yes, I've toned down quite a lot. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it started uh, during the pandemic. That's when I stopped playing COD and then I switched to crochet. And now I'm, I'm when I'm not doing anything, I'm just crocheting and crocheting. I have doilies about this high on my on my table at home. And then whenever I go to a set, I bring them and I give them away. <laughs> I was going to say, your cast members are going to ask you for like your crochet work. Um, and I, I love that so much. Okay, so I had a look at your Instagram this morning and like you're cooking. Are you a good cook? I am. I'm an excellent cook. What do you like cooking? Uh, I like cooking Italian food. I like pa- cooking pasta. I like cooking sinigang because my kids love sinigang. I cook a mean adobo, but my kids don't like it. They don't like adobo in general. I don't know why. They're weird. Um, <laughs> it's the easiest thing to I cook, I know, too. right? 
what's wrong with my kids? Anyway, I, I cook a mean tinola. I cook um, beef stew. I, I I also can cook beef pies. You know, I love those beef pies. Yeah. Those English pies. Um, I can really cook anything. I'm really good. I'm really good at cooking. I love it. It's a passion. Okay, so we're all coming around your house of for course. dinner. And we're watching Triangle of Sadness <laughs> at your house. Actually, we're going to binge Dharma. <laughs> yes. Oh, and I have another thing that I do to relax. And my kids always make fun of me. I like watching uh, true crime of, of YouTube videos. I, I'm obsessed with true crime. Yeah. There you go. Of That's how I That's relax. Right. Not kidding. There you go. I don't know how you sleep at night, though. But <laughs> <laughs> so, what's next for you aside from running around the festival circuit and promoting? I'm, I'm going back home to to film two things. I'm doing "Keys to Your Heart," which is uh, it's um, it's a Filipino version of the Korean film. I play the mother of the two sons who are not in good terms. One son is a wa- washed-up boxer and the other one is in the spectrum. Um, another one that I'm doing is um, uh, a, a film for Cinemalaya. And I play the mother of of a man who was abused when he was a kid. And because of that, he literally doesn't have a mouth. So it's like the director's representation of when you lose your voice, when you're being abused. And then they're going to make it, they're going to, it's live action. And you like live action and they're going to put uh, animation over it. So I'm really excited about that. Very exciting. Well, Dolly Leon, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Jazz. Ang sarap ka usap ng Pinoy. Oh my gosh, thank you. That's Dolly De Leon, star of Triangle of Sadness, which opens in theaters on October 7th. And that's it for this edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Drew Griffith edited this episode, and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head on over to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest Oscar predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Jazz Tanke, Janelle Riley, and Michael Schneider, I'm Clayton Davis, and we'll see you on the circuit. <laughs>